This is Van Color. guest today always has his finger on the cultural and political pulse and he's been gauging our feelings heading into 2022 as this pandemic is still not over he's a public opinion research dynamo the go-to guy he's all over media and he's here tonight the president of research co he is mario canseco mario Nice to see you in person. Exactly. We've been on television together. We've been on a podcast together. But this is the first time that we're actually sitting down one-on-one. -on -one. It's very nice. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And so part of that reason is because of COVID, obviously. Yes. And I, I want to cite one of my friends. Fiona Forbes has called the emotional roller coaster of COVID the COVID coaster. And our mood, you know, keeps changing depending on, on what's going on. So heading into 2022... What are you seeing in terms of your public opinion data? Do we feel like the worst is behind us or do we feel like the worst is yet to come? Well, uh, that has been one of the craziest questions I've ever tracked. You know, you're asking <laughs> questions to people. Who are you going to vote for? How do you feel about the mayor or the premier? And when we ask people, do you think the worst is behind us? The numbers have been shifted very, very wildly. Mm. Uh, we had a moment right before the summer of 2020 when people were starting to do things again and they thought everything was behind us. Then it dropped. There's no vaccines. We're not going to be able to get all the vaccine doses. So then it dropped again, started to climb, dropped back. Here's Omicron, and now we're back to the same level we had six months ago, which is essentially um, we do not think that the situation is going to get better anytime soon. So when the polling kind of shifts up and down like that, like a yo-yo, doesn't that mean there's more uncertainty? And there's and and so yeah, we are, we are up some days, and then you know for a, for a month, then we're down again. Well, the, there's certainly a level of anxiety from people. What is interesting mm -hmm. is it hasn't been connected with their own behavior. It's not a situation where you have the COVID. Uh, 19 uh, situation where everybody goes, well, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm not going to do this anymore. We see the numbers when it comes to wearing masks, when it comes to being careful with the way you're doing things, and they haven't really moved a lot. So it's, it's ultimately our own emotions that are making us feel like, like the situation is not there. Uh, but we're okay. not in the situation. I mean, I, I, we're not resisting public health orders because of our anxiety levels. No. And, and you know, I, I would definitely go back to the example of the greatest generation. You know, we didn't see people in 1941 or 1940 saying, I'm tired of this Second World War. I think we should just go out and about and do our thing and let the men go back to the factories and bring our soldiers home. Like It's, it's a similar situation. You know, yeah. This isn't going to be over soon. And people understand that and they know and they are actually taking care of what they have to do in order to make sure that this is not as bad as it could be. So let me ask you about this idea of COVID fatigue. We've heard this term, and I'll just say just in my own personal circles, <laughs> while my friends are completely adhering to public health orders, I've heard many of them say, I can't wait until we don't have to wear this mask anymore. Or I really hope there are no restrictions for the holidays. Like, I'm just tired of, of doing this and that. I want to go back to normal. And I'm starting to hear more frustration bubble up from people again, who, as you said, even though their anxiety might be high, they're, ad they're adhering to the rules. So have you seen anything in, in the data to show that we are experiencing 
COVID fatigue. It's more of an irritant for those who haven't been vaccinated or who are close to people who haven't been vaccinated. When we ask people about travel, for mm. instance, this is before Omicron, though, so maybe the numbers have changed. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have a kid, you're more likely to say you don't want to travel, you don't want to go out because they haven't been vaccinated. Right. So what we have here is a situation where the couples whose kids are out of the house or who haven't had kids yet are having a lot of fun. Uh, they're in Mexico, they're in Hawaii, they're traveling, we're fully vaccinated, we don't care. But you have this other group that is going, wait a minute, I don't think I should expose my child to something like this. Right. So we have that two-tier system, which is quite fascinating to watch. I'm taking care of myself because I have somebody in my household who hasn't been vaccinated fully, whereas the other ones are going... It's like being a bachelor again. <laughs> but some people are tiring of the masks. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a little tired of wearing the mask. I still have to wear it. and I still wear it. But I'm getting a little irritated by that. And I'm vaccinated, to of be course. clear. <laughs> this is where we're chatting, right? Here. Uh, it's, it's more complicated than that. I think part of it is the notion that this is going to be over at some point. Right. And that has been part of the problem with this pandemic. You know, the first time we asked people, when do you think this is going to be over? This is March of 2020. We had almost 40% who said, by Easter. This is going to be done by Easter. <laughs> well, here we are, and it hasn't been over. So part of the problem is the way in which governments manage this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that is also crucial here. The governments that said, we are fine. This is going to be over in three months. Mm. Best summer ever. I'm looking at you, Jason <laughs> Kenny. You know, they are the ones whose uh, residents are saying, well, this isn't what was promised. Yeah. And the governments that have been very careful as far as saying, this is going to take a while. More sacrifices, more different things are the ones that are doing better. So don't overpromise on something that is out of your control. Mm -hmm. Where's your read on public expectation for when this is over? Uh, a year. A year. That's six, what people are thinking? Six months, a year. I think part of what is happening is the the hope that we're going to run out of letters in the Greek alphabet. You know, it's like, okay, there's going <laughs> to be a moment other, yeah. when we go back to, to beta, delta, delta two, I mean, whatever it is, or do we move to a different alphabet? Like there's this tendency to look at this as we're all fully vaccinated now. Six yeah. months from now, if Omicron doesn't wreak havoc, I think we'll be fine. And, and that's mm -hmm. the moment when you start to do different things. But it's the emotional connection that we establish to certain things. You know, vaccine passports are a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Manitoba said, we're going to do this. People got upset. And then they had 30,000 people watching the Winnipeg Blue Bombers every couple of Saturdays. <laughs> That's what everybody wanted to do. Yeah. But it took a while for them to say, there's a very tiny minority that is upset with this, that mm. see this as some sort of debacle of humanity because they're being asked to show proof of vaccination. Everybody else reacted late. Right. But they did it first and they did it very well. Yeah. So largely, we've been talking about Canadians here, but I want to talk about British Columbians for a second and relates some data that you showed me about how British Columbians feel about their lives. And a majority of British Columbians feel like their lives have gotten harder over the last four years. How much of the pandemic plays a role into this, or is it completely separate from COVID-19? I think it's a combination of factors. You know, part of it is uh, that we went through those first six months of uncertainty. What is going to happen with my business? Will I be able to be uh, going to work again? You know, mm -hmm. what is going to happen if I go back to school? Am I going to be doing virtual classes? Are my kids going to be doing virtual classes? So those first six months were very, very tough on people. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't have an effect on all of the other things. You know, you still have to figure out a way to get into the housing market if you're not in it. Mm -hmm. You still need to pay the bills. You still need to get a better job and make more money. 
those things haven't changed at all. And, and that is one of the difficulties that I think the government is going to have when it tries to connect with voters again, uh, whoever leads the party for the next election. But John Horgan seems to be polling quite high, the BCNDP and John Horgan. So how do you explain that? Well, I think part of it is uh, there is a level of satisfaction with the pandemic, uh, mm. which is usually not present on social media. I mean, depending on who you're following, everybody's doing terribly. Somebody else would do it better. And part of it is that you get it from both sides. You get it from people who say the government should be doing a lot more than it is and we should be right. locking everybody down. <laughs> and yeah. then you have a significantly larger group that says, no, this is an invasion of my freedoms. So very complicated to try to deal with that space. But most people believe that they've done the right things. Now, mm. what is going to happen a couple of years from now when the pandemic is over? Are you going to be able to say we dealt with the housing situation in a way that makes people be able to get into the market? Mm. And, and that is the number one concern in British Columbia and in the lower mainland by far. It's not COVID-19 anymore. It's housing. We are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with Mario Canseco. Mario, thanks for sticking around. My pleasure. <laughs> it's really my pleasure. I love chatting with you. <laughs> I have to ask you, and I, I've been meaning to ask you, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, who is answering these public opinion research <laughs> questions? Because often you hear, ah, oh, you know, polls aren't representative because it's only crazies or people who are bored or have no life that are answering these. <laughs> Who's actually answering the, these polls? Canadians. You know, I think part of what happens and this is something that we experience a lot in the industry is people are upset when they don't get the poll they wanted. Mm. You know, you, you called me or you contacted me online to ask me about laundry detergent or, you know, whether it's snow outside or whether the weather was nice, but you never asked me about China. You never asked me about voting. Right. And it's just uh, the way in which random samples work. You know, you have a thousand people that you need to talk to in a country that has more than 30 million of them. Hmm. So part of it is that. And, and data collection is a little bit easier now. You know, doing it with online panel certainly helps. People mm. want to take the surveys. It doesn't mean that they take the surveys they want, which is one of the misconceptions that we get. Oh, no, no, they just take whatever they want. Mm. No, you still need to send an invitation and they need to take the survey. Um, but there's an issue when it comes to contacting people on the phone because you're more likely to get people who aren't there or right. who still have a landline. Uh, you know, one of the side effects of the pandemic that was beneficial in a way is that people were at home. So the type of survey that used to take three days, you could complete in six hours. So you made money off this pandemic. You profited <laughs> off this pandemic is what you're telling me. Well, because people were curious about stuff. You know, I yeah. think part of what made this surreal in a way is uh, there wasn't a scenario where people said, I don't want to ask about this. You know, you had governments, you had associations, you had people who thought, OK, how, what effect is this going to have? How can we deal with this properly and how can we gauge the way Canadians are feeling about it? Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, different because the, the whole plan that we had for that year was completely uh, changed. You know, the, the notion that, you know, maybe I want to ask about the Senate. Well, guess what? Nobody cares about the Senate <laughs> right now. Right now it's all pandemic and you sure. know, people are worried. And we'll get into the pandemic a little more just in a second. One last question, though. When you talk about online surveys, yeah. you're not talking about the survey that pops up before a YouTube <laughs> video, right? Because no. I just click whatever. Like, no, I don't no. even look at that. No, no. This is this is one of the misconceptions. And it's it's taken a while for, for the industry to get here. But, you know, mm -hmm. this... Uh, you have an online panel, which is essentially people who have said that they want to take surveys mm. and they have agreed to participate. Uh, they get sent an email, they take the survey, they answer the questions and then they get out of it. Every online panel management company has different ways of uh, having incentives for them. Some mm. they give them points, some give them you know, cards for gifts, some give them money. Uh, 
but it's people who are being compensated for their time. Now, before anybody out there decides that they want to become a professional servant, I was just going to say, can I make a career out of no, this? No, no. The okay. incentives are fairly small, you know, somewhere between 25 cents and a dollar per survey that you complete. And uh, the idea of having uh, multiple avatars and pretending that you are a, a single woman from Tennessee <laughs> and uh, retiree in Florida or whatever, you know, it's not something that you're is, already that is preempting my thought. I know process you're thinking <laughs> about doing something like that. But, you know, and it, it's it's a lot better to do it that way. I think yeah. part of the advantages of online is you can show people maps, you can show people pictures, you can do things differently. You can have a long list of statements that they can agree or disagree with. Doing this on the phone is very time-consuming. And, yeah. and it's one of the reasons for people to hang up on pollsters. It's mm. like, or, or the fact that you, they can't find somebody who's suitable. When we still had a landline, I would feel bad hanging up on my colleagues. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't want to talk to me because I'm part of the most boring demographic there is. You know, I'm 35 to 54 and a man. <laughs> you said it. And I'm also, I'm also in that demographic, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go back to, to COVID here and, and sort of public opinion around it. One thing I noticed in the data that you sent me was that from November 2020, we kind of bottomed out in terms of optimism, right? Yeah. Like it was at a low. And that's probably because we didn't really see an end in sight. And then I guess the vaccine announcements came. And from November 2020 to, I believe, July 2021 – it just kept going up. The optimism kept going up. And then we found ourselves in a place where it started to yo-yo again, which is where we're at now. And we kind of talked about this just for the for the television portion. But, you know, just as your projection, I guess, I mean, we can't really know what's going to happen. But in terms of your projection of public opinion, you know, are we going to start 2022 with a lot of anxiety? I think we will. You know, part of it is uh, because of the announcements of the government. Mm -hmm. uh, we went from the process of slowly recovering our way of life. You know, I can go back to the gym. I have to wash my hands 17 times, but I, have, I can go back to the gym. Yeah. I can do different things. I can go watch the Canucks. I can do different uh, activities that were not supposed to happen. And then we had people who thought, okay, I can travel again. And now you're hearing announcements from the government. Try not to travel. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the Maple Leafs are going to be playing with an audience that is half the size that they usually have. And they're going to have to do a little bit of Sophie's Choice to try to realize who's going to be out of the seats. Yeah. It's complicated. So all of those announcements are going to play a role in the way we feel about this because Omicron is here, completely different situation. They're mm -hmm. still trying to figure out what effect it has on people who have been doubly vaccinated. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, part of what we saw in November 2020 was uh, every, everything we read suggested that were, there were not going to be enough vaccines for everybody mm -hmm. or that the vaccines would be here very late. Yeah. And it ended up working marvelously for the government. You yeah. know, we asked the question, do you think... I mean, certainly in this part of the world. No, in other parts in of the world, part Maybe not, not so sure. much. <laughs> but, but that is also part of the essence of, of, of the exercise politically. Yeah. You know, we asked people in January of 2021, do you think everybody who wants to be vaccinated by September will be able to be vaccinated? Yeah. And 45% said no. Like oh, That's almost yeah. half of Canadians saying, yeah, this ain't happening. Yeah. And then you get to August and it does. Yeah. And then... I mean, the mistake I, I, of calling the election, but that's a different ballgame. I scored a lot of clout making that argument about, you know, when is lunch going to arrive? You know, vaccines. So <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, and that that anxiety definitely existed. I almost feel like the, the part that we're at now, and again, I'm speaking just from personal and, and anecdotal evidence, but it's like 
when you have a, a player on the Canucks, you talked about sports earlier, <laughs> but when you had a player from the Canucks pulled mid-game because they tested yeah. positive for COVID and you're like, what is happening? You know? Like, well, and, and it's, it's something that happened in, in baseball. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had the Dodgers in the middle of the World Series, mind you. And it's like, oh, this guy tested positive. We're going to have to get him out of third base. Like, yeah. It, it really shows you the, the, the situation that we're in right now. And, and it's not because people haven't been careful necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, this is a completely different way of looking at things. Do you think ha- having all of this happen right before the holidays makes it even worse? I mean, the holidays are an totally. anxious time. And I've been talking to, again, a lot of friends some of whom expressing that COVID fatigue, but they're all just saying, you know what, if the government puts on restrictions for getting together with family, we're not doing it this year. And again, they're not anti-maskers, they're not anti- no. they're vaccinated, they're, they've been on board, but they're just kind of at that point where they're just like, we're doing a family dinner, we missed it last year, we're doing it this year. Well, what, what makes it psychologically difficult is that you were told 12 months ago, don't do any of this until you're doubly vaccinated. Yeah. And now we've spent three months preparing for this moment. People yeah. bought plane tickets. Turkeys are being, uh, you know, sent to the ovens. You know, yes. there's, there's so many things that revolve around this. And now you're being told, don't do it. It's not safe. It's not the best situation. So part of it is that emotional connection with the decision that is going to take you away from your family. A year ago, it was a drag. You know, we asked people. And uh, for the first time since I've been asking that question, more people said, the holiday season is going to be stressful and mm. not fun. It was the only time that that's happened. Really? And now it's climbing. It's coming back. But you know, if I were to ask again tomorrow, who knows what people will tell us? Because mm-hmm. people are coming from other places. Uh, you've spent a lot of money on stuff. And, and you're hoping to have that family gathering. And the announcements and everything happening around you are suggesting that you shouldn't. Yeah. I've had this kind of weird conversation with a lot of people talking about which year was worse, 2020 or 2021. (laughs) Now, I don't want to get into necessarily your personal opinion, because we could argue about this all day. But in terms of mood, and that's what we've been talking about, when you look at public opinion and mood, you know, were we better this year or were we better in 2020? I think this one's way tougher. 2021 was way tougher. Way tougher. And the reason is... But we got vaccinated. Of course. But there's an expectation that everything's going to be better. You know, Mm. 2020 is like, okay, it's over. Uh, We can't do anything. You can't move. You have to wait. Don't get uh, COVID. Be careful. Wash your hands. Be kind to each other. And then the expectation after the second shot is, okay, wait two weeks and do whatever you want with your life. Yeah. And now we're starting to creep very slowly back into that situation. Yeah, but this thing is not over. It's still not over. And I think that's ultimately what makes this more complicated. Let's say, for for instance, that there's a million dollars underneath this table. Now that we know it's there, we're going to behave very differently as far Mm. as what can we do with this money. If you never knew it was there, it's different. And I think part of the reason for 2020 was, okay, we're doomed until the vaccines get here. So you're not expecting anything good to come out of it. Right. Then 2021 arrives, we're all fully vaccinated. Oh, but my kid isn't vaccinated. Oh, but I need to get a third shot for my dad or whatever it is. Right. And and now we can't even get together. Oh, Delta. So, oh, Omicron. Oh, Delta's yeah. coming. Omicron's coming. So now it's more depressing uh. because I thought we were so close. And now we're back to 2020 <laughs> stuff. COVID, just never OV. It's, it's very <laughs> difficult. So one interesting point that you, you brought up earlier is like, despite where our anxiety levels at are adherence to public health orders generally stays the same. Yeah. So 
and maybe this is a more sociological question, but I'm going to ask you never, nevertheless, does optimism help us then? Because we're still adhering to the rules, even if we're pessimistic. So, you know, what is what is what good is it to be optimistic, I guess? Well, I think what it does is it makes us more resistant to those who simply do not care. And we have that group. Mm. There is a group. There's, you know, sometimes it's 7%, sometimes it's 14% who won't wear a mask, who won't get vaccinated. Uh, our research has shown that most of them voted for the People's Party. Yeah. This is not a surprise. You know, this is a group that is entirely libertarian. Uh, it's not a group big enough to actually hold seats in the House of Commons or make it a viable political party. But it's a group that is very vocal on social media. Yeah. And I think part of what happens is when you get into this feeling of dejection, you start to look at other sources. You start to look at somebody else you can blame for what has befallen you. Mm. And uh, there is a similarity to what happened with vaccines and autism. It's like, oh, this is a terrible tragedy. Right. I have to find somebody to blame. And then you have Jenny McCarthy becoming a doctor. You have Donald Trump saying that this is what's causing it. Yeah. And then people go, yeah. Yeah, this is not just luck of the draw or yeah. genetics. This is just that somebody vaccinated my child. And, yeah. and we are going through the same situation here. You know, you have Maxine Bernier saying, well, did you know that people who have been vaccinated can also carry the virus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how vaccines work, Max. Yeah. I mean, seriously. This is somebody who ran for prime minister. Yeah. And there's a whole group of people a, who... His party got a sizable amount of votes. Well, and, and, you know, frankly, you know, he was very close to becoming the leader of the conservative party. Yeah, that's true. Which is, you know, something that right now seems unconscionable. But mm -hmm. that's, that's part of it. You have that group that is going to be very upset with things. And, and you know, they'll find your email address and they'll harass you and they'll leave weird phone calls because they're upset with the fact that you're covering the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. But it's a, it's a minority. And, and the key here is to resist uh, the wishes of this minority to make us abandon what has made this not as unsuccessful as it could have been. Yeah. Hypothetical world, let's say I'm super pessimistic. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm super anxious. I'm, I'm not looking forward to 2022. I think it's going to be tougher. Who can I blame, Mario? Who can I blame? Who can we blame <laughs> out of everything? Well, I'm being very facetious. No, here, but by you the know, way. part of it is <laughs> there's a difference in the way this pandemic has been dealt in different places. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, we can look at the example of Canada versus the United States in the early stages. Now, there's a difference here. You know, Donald Trump was in the White House. Mm -hmm. So the, the regulations are different. The way in which people are vaccinated are different. We still see those differences on the maps. You have yeah. states in the South where people don't want to get vaccinated. The states uh, that are closer to the border with Canada where most people have been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So part of it has been comparing ourselves to others. Now, mm. the number one thing is transparency. Do we actually know what caused this? Not really. Mm -hmm. You know, we haven't been able to access everything that the Chinese government knows about this virus. Yeah. At least people who are studying this very carefully believe that we don't. So that's one of them. Now, what's the problem here? You turn this into a situation where you're blaming anybody who resembles a Chinese person, and that is problematic. Absolutely. And we've had a lot of cases of something like that happening, especially in the early stages. Mm -hmm. um, there's an inquiry that is going to be happening in BC to try to figure out what is happening with this uh, scenario that is... Mm certainly unfathomable for a country like ours. Yeah. But uh, you can be upset at many different things. Uh, the one that we haven't really figured out is the origin of the virus mm -hmm. and how, whether it could have been contained at an earlier moment than what we have now. Yeah. 
Mario, this was fantastic. So nice to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, where can people see your your work? This is your call to action to to see more of your data and your work and your findings. They can go to researchgo.ca. We have all of the findings that we've um, collected since April of 2018. And we have a very fun one coming up on the holidays and where are people like Eggnog. So <laughs> if you're not a policy wonk, there's plenty of interesting there stuff is. on the website. It's not all about policy and politics. Trust me. I love it. Thanks so much, Mario. Thank you. Folks, he is a public opinion research dynamo, the president of Research Co. He is Mario Canseco, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Peace.